CIUTFM would like to thank everybody who made a contribution during our fall fundraising campaign. Your kind financial support keeps this community radio station alive on the FM dial and on the World Wide Web. If you haven't donated yet, we still need your help to reach our goal of $100,000. Donate now at www.ciut.fm and show your appreciation for unique, independent programming that cannot be heard anywhere else. Auto Parts, Cardo got it. Reliable parts, affordable prices, with exceptional experience and customer service. Reach us at 416-740-3030 or walk into our store at 321 Rexdale Boulevard, Unit 2B. Email cardoauto at gmail.com. Remember, for your next auto parts replacement, reach out to Cardo Auto Parts at 416-740-3030. From the roots up, CIUT 89.5 FM, Toronto. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. And welcome to a very live version of the Radical Reverend Show, or you may be listening to this in repeat in January, in which case, Happy New Year, everybody. Um, we have our A-list today. We've got Emma Wakelin, a liberal strategist and all-round pundit. And uh, we've got Alex Grant, uh, editor, writer, journalist, and activist. So welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. I've never been called an all-around pundit before. That's right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, we're looking at 2023 in Canada. Uh, oh, my goodness. Like, I, I, before the show started, we were trying to think of good things that had happened. And I promise you, out there in listener land, we will end on a happy note on this show. I'm going to uh, turn it over to our wonderful techs uh, to share some happy news. And, of course, there is some happy news that came out of 2023, but let's get down and dirty first, because quite frankly, I'm so glad that that year is either come to an end or is coming to an end. Um, let's start uh, with, well, happy for some folk, um, a very interesting by-election in Kitchener Centre. Emma, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, so the the um, the by-election in Kitchener Center won by the Greens. They picked up their second seat. And um, the last results I saw, and this is not the official results, they had doubled uh, the votes of the second-place NDP, which previously held the the seat. So I think uh, this is a, um, not, if not a uh, direct wake-up call to the NDP, um, it certainly is uh, a red flag. And for the other parties as well, it, um, it signals uh, sort of, uh, I think, yellow flags for the other two parties. I think the, the Conservatives, they weren't really in contention in that riding, and the Liberals at the time didn't have a leader and also weren't really in contention. But it, it really is an upset uh, against the NDP, and I think it should worry Merritt Stiles very much. Alex? This is a disaster for the NDP. The previous MPP was, I think, the chair of the NDP's Black Caucus, uh, which has been decimated. And, and she mentioned she couldn't, uh, she wasn't supported as a single mother. And that's why she resigned as an MPP. Uh, this also comes after uh, what in the, there was a, a black MPP who resigned in the GTHA. And then Sarah Jammer, who was uh, removed for comments on Palestine. And, and, and that actually must have had an effect in the riding in that it, it demoralizes NDP activists that when uh, sort of good uh, campaigners are removed, then people go, what's the point? And then the, the Greens have filled the vacuum. The Greens have filled the vacuum and, uh, and the NDP is having lots of problems uh, because it's equivocating. What it, let's let's talk about the Greens for a minute because, um, I mean, 
there are greens around the world. And my understanding, and Alex, I'll get you to weigh in on this, is that greens in Europe and even the UK are to, far to the left of our greens here. Um, our greens here are kind of a centrist party, no? Or am I misreading this? Well, yes, in Canada, I, I, I think they're, they're a grab bag in Europe. I think they're quite fairly right wing in Germany. But in, uh, yes, in Canada, the, the Greens have been sort of uh, liberals with uh, a, a bit of green paint attached. But Although I'll say not, the li- liberals say <laughs> that, that the Greens are conservatives with green attached because they, they do have some pretty um, historic anti-LGBTQ uh, comments. They are... Or anti-union comments. That's yes. right. They yes. are very socially conservative. And I, I think uh, that... They're mainly right now a protest party uh, for for conservatives who are concerned about the environment, but don't want to vote for any other party. Yeah, and the federal Greens did have a left wing under Dimitri Lascaris, and and that got and he got quite a high vote in the federal Green leadership, forty five percent. But then they were entirely sidelined and functionally purged, and so it's it's very much the establishment Greens. But I don't think that's why people are voting in Kitchener. It's it's a an anti-establishment change vote, and that should be going NDP, and it's going Greens because uh, the NDP cannot uh, seize hold of it. And, and talking about anti-establishment, and sadly, I think, um, especially on this left-lefter-leftist panel on the Radical Reverend Show. Uh, by the way, I just should uh, also do a plug. We're almost uh, at our $100,000 mark. Uh, so if you haven't donated to the to CIUT, please, please do mention our name, Radical Reverend. We, we love it when you do. And uh, definitely, if you let us know your name, we will shout it out on the airwaves. Um, but just hit donate on the CIUT.FM website and you will instantly get a tax receipt. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, anti-establishment seems to be going conservative in this country, sadly. Um, uh, and uh, certainly we're looking at this huge uh, bump up in the polls over the last year for Polyev and the federal conservatives. I know Doug Ford is uh, not doing well personally, but still his party would probably win despite everything in Ontario if an election was held tomorrow. Um, Emma, what's uh, is that a protest vote too? So I, I think, let's talk federally first. I, I think Polyev's uh, rise in the polls are an example of uh, folks being hurt Financially, economically, um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of social pressures pushing people into to being angry. Uh, and right now, you can say that the, the prime minister and the Liberal Party has abandoned the affordability issue to Polyev. They, they're talking about things that right now um, Canadians just don't care about. Uh, they they seem to be in the middle of an affordability crisis where people are literally choosing between feeding their kids and paying their mortgage or their rent, liberals are putting taxes on heating uh, oil, which uh, there's just, there's no, there's no political smarts in that. And then that's why uh, right now Polyev is rising. I don't think it's because people are necessarily turning right wing. It's just that the only people talking about populist issues seem to be conservative uh, politicians. Um, we've got uh, the average Canadian now making a little bit more than last the year before, about 57,000 or something. You cannot live on 57,000 in any city in this country. Um, somehow we're in the top 20 in the world, though, which is even more depressing. But the difference is we don't have affordable housing and other affordable functions. We're losing our... We'll get into it. But Alex, why um, this huge bump up? For the most right wing of conservatives, yeah. Well, Polyev is saying Canada is broken. That's his message. Canada is broken, and guess what? Canada is broken. It, astoundingly, I, I think this must be the first time in a generation the conservatives are more popular amongst younger de- younger demographics than they are with older demographics. It used to be the the you know uh, the. The blue rinse crowd uh, that would uh, vote conservative, but now they're actually more popular amongst young people because they say the system is broken, and especially for young people, the system is broken. Of course, all of Polyev's solutions are going to make everything worse. They're going to. Uh, 
he's just going to be giving more money to the rich and more deregulation and more environmental destruction and more of what has been creating the crisis in the first place. But he recognizes there's a crisis and he, and he puts forward an explanation and a solution. The solution is wrong, but he, he's the only one doing that. And the NDP is not doing that. And the liberals of the status quo, the NDP are tied to them. Um, so the federal NDP, though, Alex, I mean, they have, you know, tried with, a, you know, attacking grocery pr prices. I mean, um, pretty much Galen Weston's most hated Canadian right about now. Um, uh, they've done some stuff, though, about, you know, sort of meat and potatoes issues um, that should appeal. Talked about housing. Why isn't it catching on? Well, if, when you've got the NDP Liberal Coalition, the confidence and supply deal, Everybody thinks a vote for the NDP is a vote for the Liberals. So the, the NDP has not benefited from that deal at all. Their support is flat. The Liberals have gone down and, and disaffected Liberals, instead of going NDP, they're going Conservative. That, that's uh, the dynamic. It's very clear if you look at the polls, that's what's happening. Well, and, and you can, the, the NDP, the federal NDP, has a, a distinct lack of leadership. It's, it's okay if, if your leader wears $5,000 Rolexes and, and drives $100,000 cars and, and has Gucci bags if they take action on affordability. But this leader does not. He is supporting um, uh, a federal government. So it's, it's very hard to shake that elite uh, image when you do nothing to combat it. Uh, speaking here with Emma Wakelin, a liberal strategist, and Alex Grant, who is a journalist activist on the Left Lefter Leftist panel on uh, the Radical Reverend Show. So, welcome, listeners. Um, so, where do you where do you park your vote? What do you do, Emma? Like, what do you do federally? Um, you know, I, 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 you know, again, we we shouldn't leave out, of course, the fact of the block and. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, there are a green or two, um, but like, what do you do? What do you do? You're you're uh, you're angry about the the status quo. You're um, looking. You're kind of flailing around, looking at parties. What do you do? I think if you are a Canadian that is actually hurting, which is most of us, you have to make one decision or the other. You either hold your nose and vote for a party that hasn't done a heck of a lot for you over the last few years, um, and uh, but you're afraid of what the Conservatives will actually do when they're in power, and what the, the dog whistles that they are whistling are pretty darn scary, I'm going to tell you now, and as I can tell you as a trans woman, I'm terrified. Like, what do I do? If, if Polyev is elected as Prime Minister, it will be a terrible, terrible thing for all trans people across this country. But at the same time, I, I need someone who's also going to make sure that I'm not living on the street because my rent is going to be $3,000 a month. And I'm only making, only with quotation marks, $57,000 as an average Canadian. So I, I it's, <laughs> Canadians are in a rock in a hard place. Uh, and of course, the NDP federally are very frightened of strategic voting in exactly mm -hmm. that way. Um, that uh, the strategic vote, well, now they're kind of, they're almost cheek by cheek in the polls with the Liberals. So, I mean, I, and, and it makes me shudder to think of this, but I can imagine the backroom chatter in the ND, federal NDP is, well, you know, we may be official opposition. Uh, <laughs> what do you do? Where, what do you do, Alex? Well, I think unless there's an earthquake on the political landscape, I think Polyev's going to win the next election. And I think he's going to declare war on every oppressed community and, and the working class as a whole. I, th I think that's what's going to happen. And unless there is you know, a seismic shift, which, which is difficult to predict, it's probably unlikely, Polyev's going to be the next prime minister. And I think prepare for class war under a Polyev government. It's a bit like the first years of Margaret Thatcher that I, I think... If Polyev does what he says he's going to do, I think he'll trigger off a general strike. And, and so I, I wouldn't say, you know, vote this way or that way to stop Polyev because it's like vote for the status quo to stop uh, the anti-status quo candidate when there's no left-wing anti-establishment candidate on the ballot. I'd say prepare to fight back against Polyev and the, you know, the, 
very, very tumultuous times that he will bring about. I'm just asking you, is it time for a new party? I know that's kind of pipe dreamish with our first past the post system, but... Um, you know, democratic socialists in the states. There's some little sects of that up here. Would is is that something you think is going to start appearing on our? I mean, we certainly have seen the the rise of the ultra right wing small you know faction parties. Um, do you think we'll see something like that? It's very difficult to do under a first past the post system, and 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 actually, I don't think elect. Electoral politics are the centre of gravity for the left for the next few years, at least. I think it's going to be uh, mass movements, and I think it's going to be uh, union fights. Like, for example, Doug Ford was defeated on the Green Belt, and that was not uh, an electoralist movement in the sense it, it was is a it's a mass movement. So, and and then you got last year how Ford was defeated on back to work legislation and the notwithstanding clause against education workers. So I think there will be plenty of politics to be done uh, for the left and socialists, but I don't, uh, I don't think electoral politics uh, will be the conduit right now. But at some point, yes, it will be. Um, we've got Doug Ford. We've gone for a second term now, and uh, it doesn't seem like they're going anywhere despite... Uh, what can we can only call scandal? I mean, it's certainly a scandal when the RCMP are looking through well, <laughs> through that, your files, a, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't seem to. It affects his personal polling, but it doesn't seem to be affecting the party polling. Well, I, I, I think it's been a silly year provincially, and now that the Liberals have a uh, an official leader, um, one that Doug seems to be uh, afraid of, uh, that will change the dynamics provincially. Uh, and the RCMP investigation is a big thing. You can ask any government that's been defeated in the last like 20 years. Uh, when you have uh, a criminal investigation, uh, once that stuff starts coming out, that's when uh, things can change very quickly. I think right now, Canadians have, Ontarians have not been paying attention um, to provincial politics. And I think that will change now that uh, the the contestants, if you will, for the next election are set and everyone is uh, off to the races. <clears throat> Emma, you met, mentioned um, dog whistle politics and uh, the attacks on trans folk. Um, I think of the rant in Richmond Hill that Paul have, <laughs> gave, um, for which the uh, deputy mayor apologized, that he clapped at it, but no... Polly Evans never apologized, talking about radical gender ideology, with quotes, unquotes. Um, that leads me to think about also another, you know, dog whistle um, group that he seems to be close to, uh, the convoy people. Convoy was still an issue in our Canadian politics, um, uh, in fact, made international news and was supported uh, and this is the scary part, by international money. And so we saw American politicians and their cronies up here when when that happened, and they certainly got covered south of the border. Um, talk about that, the, the rise of the ultra-right, the convoy folk. There's still an issue. Well, there is. And there's a very radicalized group that uh, were organized, if you will, by the, the convoy. And they're not going anywhere, and they're very loud. And, and I think Polyev right now is playing very much a throw the spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks strategy, and it seems to be working. He's he's grabbing, he, whether it's anti-trans or anti-queer um, ideology, or if it's it's the the vaccine folks, it's, it's collecting a group of fellow travelers, if you will, who are, um, that he's going to be used to march all the way into 24 Sussex. Um, and you're right, there is a lot of money, international money that's funding this. Um, and it's it's folks uh, like Stephen Harper's International Group of Conservatives who are, and they will fund any any cause that will help further the, the, the alt-right's uh, agenda. And there's dark conservative money in the anti-trans movement. There's dark, it's the same folks that are donating to, to the convoy folks. Um, to the anti-environmentalist groups. Um, when you connect the dots, it's all the same. 
Yeah, I mean, that's very, very evident. We've seen, um, and I want to focus on Canada, of course, but we have seen, you know, in Argentina and New Zealand, we've seen the ultra-right get their candidates selected. And um, I was They speaking, just won in the Netherlands. Yeah, in the Netherlands, which is terrifying. Um, I, um, I was talking to somebody federally who said that the Conservative Party in Canada has more money than all the other parties combined. I, and and, and I, I will make this prediction as I guess we're now in the future because we're talking in 2024 as well. But Mm -hmm. I can see that Polyev is looking at what is driving votes in Europe and it's anti-migration, it's anti-immigration, it's anti um, uh, anyone who's (laughs) coming into the country that's not white. Uh, And I imagine that he will jump on that bandwagon already. There's already, you can see it in the press. They're already talking about how one in 48 Canadians is an international student and how that's um, driving uh, the usage of the food banks, and they're trying to put a wedge in there. And they're talking about how there's a million Canadian or a million immigrants that came into the country last year, and now they're push- trying to drive a wedge there. I can see that that's going to be the next big thing. Polyev has moved from convoy to vaccines to trans, and now it's going to be uh, anti-migration, anti-immigration, and. I, 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 he's going to be talking about the same thing that they're talking about in the Netherlands, how they're going to deport anyone who's Muslim. And he, uh, Donald Trump is promising that, and it's probably going to win him the next election. Alex, weigh in on the ultra-right here, the convoy, anti-vax, the dog whistle. Yeah, so when there's a crisis in the system, it doesn't. it's not as if society moves either right or left. It moves both ways. It polarizes. You get a polarization to the left and to the right against the crisis of the status quo. And Polyev has successfully uh, captured the far right, who were splitting away into the People's Party. Now, now they've come back into the fold, and, and he's using that money and uh, uh, foot soldiers uh, on, on the right. But on the left, instead of having a vociferous socialist anti-establishment message... Again, the NDP is coalescing with the Liberals in the middle. You can't oppose the anti-establishment right by allying yourself with the status quo. And, and eventually it will come out. of it. Organization really, organization really matters. Organization really, really matters. And so people are demoralized. If you're opposed to the right, people are demoralized with the options on the table. And so that means you're going to get more and more victories for the far right, as you've seen across the world. And, and, and as we will probably, unfortunately, see in Canada in the next couple of years. Um, and, and so there, there needs to be a socialist option. I, I think the, 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 the other issue is that anger is irrational. And irrationality doesn't fit easily onto political uh, theory. And if someone is out there and they can't afford their home and, they, and they're being told that the reason they can't get food is because every international student is lined up taking the food from the food banks and that um, that's the reason that they can't, that the home prices are, are going through the roof, um, they will jump to whoever's offering a solution. And right now, Polyev is feeding into all of it. Yeah, and and, and Alex, to get back to you, um, and I wanted to focus on, um, I mean, in a sense, again, I fear that this kind of conversation is infecting the NDP, um, who are currently our version of the Labour Party, that they would like to be the Labour Party in the sense of the UK and our the US and have kind of a two-party system. It's long been the dream that they would replace the Liberal Party and that you would have this two-party kind of system. Um, so that this move to the Liberal um, sort of centrist, uh, and you've pointed out, um, ain't going to win the many seats when the Liberal brand is getting back. Mattered, but yep. but um, but it doesn't like you. Yeah. But where's the left? I mean, if it really was a split between right and left and we were really polarized, why wouldn't naturally people, you know, especially in the NDP and the Labour Party go left? And and perhaps you can bring your UK analysis into this, because we're certainly seeing, not seeing that in the Labour Party in the UK either. Well, it did go left under Corbyn. And once Corbyn was on the ballot, there was a wave of enthusiasm, something like 300,000 people joined the, the Labour Party, overwhelmingly young people. Uh, Corbyn made some 
mistakes and was sabotaged from within. And in fact, he tried to unite with the, the right wing of the Labour Party who were stabbing him in the back. And, and, and then they got, ri got rid of him. And, and now there is no left-wing alternative in Britain. And, and then they need, it's, again, the, just because it would be popular if it was on the ballot doesn't mean it gets on the ballot, <laughs> right? And, and so, and the leadership of the social democratic parties are always afraid of their own shadow. One th I wanted to. Is, is it okay if I go into what Polyev said about housing? Because I think it really. Yeah, comes well, from let's what lead into that. Emma, and by the yeah. way, just uh, uh, just to check out there with the listeners, you are listening to the Radical Reverend Show. We are, have our left, left, or leftist panel. You are listening to this uh, live today, or um, on SoundCloud or iTunes, wherever you get your uh, pods. Um, in a few days, when when it's posted there. And or you're listening to it in early January, in which case, um, even more appropriate, we're looking back at 2023 with Emma Wakelin, uh, our liberal strategist, and with Alex Grant, our activist on the left, uh, and journalist. So go for it. Yes, housing. Yeah, yeah, Emma was pointing out very good things in that people are mad at the status quo and are looking for answers. And Polyev just did a very interesting thing, a 15-minute mini-documentary about housing. Affordability, the key question. And, and, and this is, breaks all of the political rules of you keep everything as a 30-second or 10-second soundbite. This is a 15-minute mini-documentary. And, and he goes on at the beginning of quite astounding statistics, saying since the election of Trudeau in the last decade or so, Housing costs, either rent or mortgage costs, have doubled. And, and then he goes into an explanation of why is this so? And, and on the one side, he talks about money printing, quantitative eating, has uh, diluted the money supply and caused inflation. And, that, and all that uh, extra money in the system has created a financialization of housing. It is partially correct partially correct and he, he conveniently forgets profiteering from his billionaire buddies who back the conservative party uh, and then and then he talks about housing supply a restriction of housing supply that there's in fact uh, fewer houses built today with a larger population than in the 1970s so these are correct statistics okay very good what are his solutions his solutions are completely wrong he says it's gatekeepers and actually, when he started talking about gatekeepers, he put up a big picture of Olivia Chow. Now, you can criticise Olivia Chow all you like, but I don't think she's been in the job like three weeks. I don't think you can blame her for the housing crisis. And uh, but strongly suspect that is actually a racist dog whistle uh, to put a Chinese woman NDP aligned in big cities. And uh, and it's not the gatekeepers like Chow. Actually, the other thing he accuses uh, the problem is that the, bill you know, the Liberals gave a couple of billions to municipalities. And he said, oh, this is giving more money to gatekeepers. He's like, wait a sec, that's the, very, that's the pittance given for social housing to the municipalities and affordable housing. Um, what you read between the lines, it is a war on municipalities and utterly giving develop billionaire developers uh, everything, as, it, as if billionaire developers didn't control everything for decades and decades. So it's going to be a disaster. But he is giving answers. He's giving answers, wrong answers, wrong answers. But they are answers and people are looking for answers, systemic answers. Emma, housing. Yeah, well, it, and you can see that, uh, that provincially Doug Ford has essentially remove the ability from uh, local uh, municipalities to restrict development. They, um, and, and forgive me because my mind is mush, but the, the, the board that used to adjudicate that between municipalities and developers and such um, is now given carte blanche just to give whatever um, developers want. So Alex is right, They're, they are blaming the municipalities and I can see, and, and you're right, using Olivia Chow is a very subtle um, a kind of hint that exactly what I was saying before, they're going to start turning the volume up on anti-immigration yep. and racism. And they're going to start talking about, well, we're letting a million 
people into the country last year and there's no homes for them, maybe we should cut it down to zero. And then while now down to the zero, we still, there's still the people that are here already, maybe we should send them back. So uh, we can see the slope and it's going, we're, we're right, like we're already on the slide and we're sliding down and uh, we, you're going to see it over the next 12 months, I guarantee it. And certainly, I mean, if if, billion, if uh, developers and billionaires are not um, were the answer to the housing crisis, then there should be no hi- housing crisis in Toronto or Ontario because they've been running this show for a long, long time. Um, and yes, they've had to jump through a few hoops, but come on. I mean, at one point we had more cranes in the sky building condos than any city in the world. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. Emma. Now, that mm-hmm. said, there are some roadblocks uh, in permitting. So if you do want to, say, build a building, whether it's, and th- this, if it's affordable, we're talking whether it's social housing, for profit or whatever, the the time between buying the land and putting a, a shovel in the ground is about 38 months. And whoever's uh, funding that, whether it's private developers or whether it's the municipality or, or, or a government agency that we create to do that, they have to put the money up front and they're losing money on the, the, the cost they are absorbing um, are incredible over that last, uh, those three months. And that has to be passed on to the consumer. That's another reason why the, the house prices are going up. So yes, there are some legitimate and I think Alex touched on it. There are some legitimate concerns that Paul ever bringing up. He just that the solutions he is suggesting are are off base. Just before we let Polyev go, and boy, we focus some time <laughs> on him, but it's a good thing <laughs> um, here on the left, left or leftist panel. Uh, I I have to be from the minute that he started running for the leadership of the Conservative Party. I have to say, Emma, and this is like you know grudgingly to one's enemy, without a doubt. But I was I've just been knocked out by the str- strategy behind him. I mean, they've got the smartest back room I have. seen in Canadian politics in a long time. Um, I mean, this idea, and I hadn't seen it before, and I thought, well, he's going to win the leadership. I even thought he was going to win prime minister using the same strategy, and it looks like, sadly, I'm right. Um, But this idea of just having rallies, like going into a legion hall, going into a church basement, like listening to people and then talking, this idea of having rallies across the country constantly or doing films or, you know, like this incredible presence and organizational structure on the ground. Um, I've, I've just not seen anything like it in my time in politics. And, uh, you know, uh, certainly I don't understand why other, you know, parties, I mean, I can just speak, you know, from the NDP. I mean, you know, it's, and even liberals is probably true too. I mean, it's wonderful to go and see your friends, visit riding associations, go go visit, you know, have have comfy, you know, love-ins with people who are going to make good pictures, shaking your hands and kissing you on the cheek. But you're not talking to the people that you need to win over. Strategy. Emma, you're a strategic person. So it, it, I think it goes down to um, the habits uh, of or the, the characteristics of the different parties. Because um, liberals have had um, rallies before, and Trudeau used to have a lot of them. If, if you remember, there was a really uh, famous one where Trudeau had a rally, and a and a lady stood up and and uh, challenged him on something. And I and she could have been completely off base, but he lectured her. And and that's the difference between a conservative rally and and a, and a liberal rally is that the liberals always try to educate you or over-explain. And Polyev, you can, st- you can stand up in a Polyev rally and you can spout the most ridiculous. You can say that the, the, the sky is actually green and that there's aliens in the world. And Polyev will say, yes, you're right. And that's why Trudeau has to go. So it's, <laughs> yes, the, the rally is as, as old as Canadian politics or, or any politics, but Polyev is just, they're smart that they know, let's use this as a way to rile up the troops, stoke that anger and, and push, point them towards Trudeau. I mean, I, certainly uh, he's been successful at taking, the, it, it, and of course it's not just him, it's this huge worldwide movement, but of taking the, the shine off Trudeau. I mean, Trudeau was our, you know, um, I remember talking to a journalist uh, before the last election federally, and he said, oh, Trudeau will win. And I said, oh, really? Why? Because it wasn't looking that great then either. And he, and he said, well, he's the, he's the celeb- he's a Canadian celebrity, and we don't have a lot of political Canadian celebrities. And I, having done some work in Europe, can actually at that point attest that that was the case. Looks like Elvis, is cute, you know, shakes people's hands, smiles a lot. People know who he is internationally. That hasn't helped him here. Hasn't helped him. Alex, you wanted to jump in. 
Yeah, well, the NDP should be organizing rallies, but they act like they're afraid of people. They act like they're afraid of the base. For example, yeah, the Ontario NDP ordered its MPPs not to go to Palestine rallies, right? You've got to actually talk to people. You've got to be there where people are protesting, people are... Uh, and you've got to put forward something vociferous that people will get enthused over. Yep. Jeremy Corbyn in Britain had hundreds of thousands of people on rallies for free education, things like that. Say things like that and mean it and say that this will be in the first budget of our government. Actually mean it. And, and actually go to back to housing in opposition to Polyev's give more money and deregulation to developers, you've got to say there's going to be a massive program of building public and social housing. Instead of taking money away from municipalities who are doing a very limited amount of public and social housing uh, with uh, very small amounts of money they get from other levels of government, there needs to be a massive injection of, of funds to create this rent geared to income of genuinely affordable housing, uh, rent geared to income, and then that will be a competition with the market housing, which will force the market housing to lower their rates. That's how you do it, and, and that's the answer. And that has not been said by anybody very clearly. It's all been very vague, wishy-washy language. Say, no, we will provide you uh, decent co-op public housing that will cut your rent in half, and get on board, make this happen. That'll end the affordability crisis. Let's let's move on to a couple of other topics. Um, you're listening to the Radical Reverend Show. If you've just tuned in, you've missed a bunch, um, but no problem. You can catch this in a few days on SoundCloud, iTunes, other podcast sites that you happen to go to. Uh, and uh, and of course, uh, just a reminder: uh, we're still always looking for donations. That never stops. So please be generous because you're keeping alternative uh, radio on the air, the only radio that would carry a show like this. So. Um, so please keep us on the air. Uh, let's talk about health care, because health care used to be in Canada the one thing that set us apart. We were so proud of our Medicare system in contrast to the United States. Um, and uh, I did a, a show recently where we had uh, Natalie Mera of Ontario Health Coalition and a doctor, Samir Bouley, um, who was on, who is a resident in psychiatry, talking about what they're seeing out there. And of course, it's no surprise to anybody, what they were, they're seeing out there is what we're all seeing out there, is it's looking terrible. Um, Emma, uh, healthcare, why is this not, I mean, it's so close to the hearts of most Canadians, or was, um, but all of a sudden it seems that there's not a lot of objection to this idea of just privatize, privatize, privatize. Uh, the well, the, when the Conservatives were elected, uh, Doug Ford was elected in 2018. One of the the objectives of that party was to privatize healthcare, and the the easiest way to do that is to create a crisis, underfund, and undermine the confidence that uh, Ontarians have in the healthcare system. And then the pandemic happened, strained an already cracking system and then all of a sudden we all have uh, some interaction with the healthcare system because of the pandemic uh, and we see that um, the because of the, the the crisis that the conservatives caused and the constant underfunding over the last decades that um, the cracks became big enough that it started to undermine confidence and now it's easy to say well Yes, we, we can solve some of this with, with just a private clinic. They'll still take public money. You, you, you can just use your health card, but we'll use this public um, or private clinic. And then down the line, that will turn in, well, why don't we have a private hospital? And, and maybe you should be able to use your credit card to to, to that. So, yes, it's been an ongoing um, uh, goal of conservatives for decades to undermine the healthcare system and create a crisis. The, the, the Harris government did it with education in the, the 90s, and uh, Doug Ford's 
um, carrying on the torch for healthcare here. Isn't this also, though, I, this always strikes me uh, and is a question, the Canada Health Act, a lot of what's happening now in Ontario surely is illegal under the Canada Health Act. I mean, the, f- charging for cataract surgery, for example, has been going on for forever. Um, huge amounts of money for an operation that costs a tenth of what some of the private clinics are, are, are charging if you have it covered by OHIP. Um, Canada Health Act's federal. What's up? What's up? Why isn't it being enforced? Well, quite frankly, it's because the, the provinces now are starting to give the middle finger to the, the prime minister and say there, there's only so much the federal government can do in retaliation. And Doug Ford, for the first time in since the 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 charter was was um, signed in in the uh, in in 1980 or 81. Um, he used a notwithstanding clause, and now they're willing. What well, used to be a nuclear option that was unthinkable is now well, we'll use it on any given Tuesday. So talking uh, about Scott Moe in Saskatchewan using it, uh, yeah, trans rights, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the feds could come down heavy, and then the the province will just turn around and and use tools that they shouldn't be using. Yeah. Well, um, they've, they've revealed that the private clinics cost twice as much as the public health care. Twice as much. So this whole mantra of, okay, privatization is more efficient. Not true, not true. It pushes down the wages and conditions of healthcare workers and massively inflates the bank balances of private investor, uh, in, investors. And, and this is the logic of conservative governments, Doug Ford government especially. It is funneling pu- public money to billionaire corporate backers, whether it is developers, whether it is uh, long-term care, private care, any of it. It is to facilitate that profiteering, which then they give donations to conservative parties uh, to make that happen. But there has to be, again, there has to be a movement to raise everybody's sights to say this is cheaper, more efficient and fairer if it is a universally available public system rather than the the right-wing corp- corporate mantra and the right-wing media do the, do the, oh, think about it as an individual. If you're in this situation, wouldn't you pay to get, uh, to get more uh, uh, speedy uh, service, uh, more speedy health care? And it's like, if you only think of it as an individual and you accept the crisis as there's nothing can be done about it, then as an individual, well, sort of, well, okay, I've got no choice, I'll have to pay. Whereas the choice is systemic choice, it's collective choice. We cannot allow this privatization, and there needs to be a mass movement to demand an end to this creeping privatization. And, and it certainly happened in the UK. I mean, we've seen totally, that. I, totally. I mean, so there's a, but what, what I guess my question, which it was to Emma, is like, this is so, hell so dear to Canadians, but now everybody's sort of like, well, whatever. Well, if you crush people's hope, then if you crush people's hope and there's nobody organizing, then people revert to individual solutions, which end up being great for the profiteers. But it's not just hope, it's expectations. And, the, and, and first of all, all Canadians have a, a simmering distrust of government and its ability to do anything. And I'm convinced now, and I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist, that Doug Ford is purposely dragging out Metrolinx because it's an easy um, uh, straw man to, to say, well, yes, we can, we can create an agency that can build public housing, but look at Metrolinx. Would you trust the, the government to build anything? They can't, they, hell, it, it, it's 20 years to build a, a rail line. Oh, you're right, Metrolinx. Uh, of course, uh, the private sector would be better off running healthcare. Metrolinx. Of course, uh, the developers are better off building housing. But you've you got the Eggs in Crosstown, which is all private, and it's a disaster, <laughs> exactly. even worse disaster. But people don't understand it. People yeah, yeah, think yeah. It's, it's run by the government, right? So um, that's, it's, there's just a distrust with Canadians about bureaucracy and allowing government to build anything. And this, of course, comes from... Um, our, our mainstream media, um, which is problematic. And we're, we saw we just the news uh, that has broken recently about the 600 layoffs at CBC. There goes our public broadcasting, such as it was. Um, 
And it always struck me as very bizarre uh, that CBC would kind of pander at times to Poiliev. And I thought, don't you know the first thing he will do is privatize you and fire y'all, which is clearly what he's going to do. Um, maybe, maybe now's the time to, like, you know, not do that. Um, not do that. I, I want to talk about, uh, we've talked about healthcare, we've talked about housing, we're looking at 2023, folks. Um, not a great year. We, I promise you we'll end on a few little, you know, light spots, there's spots of hope. We will save that till the end. So you don't go away and you know, want to do something drastic. Um, we're still in this together, as they say, uh, and we can still make a difference here. And that's the critical line, uh, despite everything. I want to talk about the environment. Um, we're in the shadow of another cop <laughs> movement. I mean, Alex, I mean, to me, this is just the biggest, baddest joke uh, in, in, ever. Uh, I mean, the fact that they have cop, you know, in the UAE, um, where clearly all the money comes from big oil and fossil fuels, um, and that's dominated by that. Uh, and there was some hilarious photos that I saw on, on social media of the Saskatchewan and Alberta little, they had, I guess, these little breakout rooms, um, you know, pitching something or other. I, they're all after big oil contracts. I think that's the real reason for, for this particular conference. But um, nobody in those rooms, there's just the leaders and all these empty seats, you know, going through the slide deck. Um, environment, what's going on in well, Canada? In well, Canada? Marx said that history repeats itself first as a tragedy and then as a farce. And then you've seen all of these international environmental conferences that tragically, predictably failed to meet their guidelines. And now we have the farce. It, it, that COP is the ridiculous farce. Everybody recognises it's the farce. There are no corporate solutions. There is no market mechanism to solve the environmental crisis. Capitalism will kill us all if we let it. That That is, and, and so there needs to be revolutionary, radical solutions to the environmental crisis. We cannot rely on the major corporate polluters. The top 100 polluters are responsible for 71% of emissions, the main billionaire corporations. You cannot rely upon these people. They cannot be incentivized. Uh, we need a massive overturn. Emma? Well, the president of COP28 is uh, Sultan Al-Jabir, who is the head of the UAE's largest oil company. Uh, and he just recently, as of last week, said uh, there is no science behind calls for the phase out of fossil fuels. So when you have someone like that in charge of COP28, it's, uh, Alex right, it's a farce. And then it just undermines people's uh, confidence that anything can be done. Um, yeah, the, these, at, at the end of the day, these large um, conferences, they're just hot air, uh, ironically, polluting our ozone because we have to fly in people from all across the world to the to the UAE, to Dubai of all places, uh, which is the model of unsustainability amongst other issues. But yeah, it's uh, Alex, right? It's it's a farce, and it it and it undermines people's hope that things can change. And when people lack hope, they have nothing to lose. And when they have nothing to lose, then as history has shown us time and time and time again, nothing ever good happens from that. Um, we have a, a government, though, here in Canada who are still subsidizing big oil. Um, we're still talking about building pipelines. Um, and uh, yeah, and nobody's, gonna... nobody's clear of this. And in BC, under an NDP government, we saw, you know, cutting of like... Uh, age-old forests and on indigenous land without enough consultation. So um, every party is is privy to this. Why can't we get our own act together? Well, and and, and listen, we as we just said earlier in this show, uh, young people, Generation uh, Z or Z, is, is moving towards the Conservative Party right now. Uh, Polyev looks like he's going to win about 200 seats. And... <laughs> Gosh, what do you think his environmental policies and his subsidies of the oil industry is going to look like? Um, so it's, uh, but well, the, you know, but art isn't part of the problem. I mean, the shift over. I mean, we're, I mean, I remembered 
having a debate back in my political days with the head of Alberta's, um, you know, their their version of the OFL, the AFL in Alberta about this very issue and saying, surely there, there are more, you know, the standard lines that ecologists use, there are more jobs in a green economy and, you know, workers need to be re you know, retrained to work in that green economy. We could be producing this stuff, you know, in, in, in the phased out auto production lines, we could be, you know, doing solar panels and things. Um, like, why can't we get a hold of that? Because it's very hard to, let's talk about the AFL, the Federation of Labor there, a lot of it's labor unions, and it's very hard to tell a, a labor union um, that's representing, say, oil workers and say, we're going to phase out your job, but don't worry, maybe two, three years down the line, there'll be a green factory opening up and you can help build uh, windmills. Um, it's, again, and I said this uh, in, in, in an argument I had with Alex maybe years ago on this show, <laughs> people love their stuff. And it's very hard to tell an oil worker who loves their Ford F-350 that you should give that up for a couple of years while we build a green, uh, hopefully a green job will replace that. Alex? Actually, I, I am vociferously opposed to taking things away from oil workers or any workers for that matter. But you, you've, got to, you've got to say to, to workers in polluting industries, you can't say, oh, you know, you're going to get fired and maybe you'll get a new job somewhere in the green industry. You said, no, no, we, we're going to protect your job. And the only way to do that is nationalization, public ownership. It's the only way to do that. Uh, actually, I remember uh, writing an article about this a while ago. The majority of people were in favor of nationalizing the energy sector in Canada. And uh, you take over the energy. Not in Alberta. <laughs> uh, well, no, but even, you know, there's it's a large scale support when you explain it to people that. Yeah, people don't don't people don't support these uh, billionaire private oil corporations. They don't. You you take it over and say, look, we will retool and under the control of the workers, unionize decent jobs, and protect your jobs. You're an energy worker. You're not an oil worker. We'll transition these jobs to sustainable energy. You will keep your good union job. But there's no political, and, then, and that's how you win people over. There's no political party in Alberta or Saskatchewan is going to do that. The Liberal Party uh, famously, under Pierre Trudeau, nationalized uh, Petro-Canada. And the Liberal Party hasn't won more than a handful of seats in Alberta in 45 years. But actually, going back to what well, we were previously being very depressing. It's like, yeah. there's no solutions, there's no solutions, there's no solutions, there's no solutions. These are conditions for revolutionary changes in consciousness. When people see the crisis and there's no solutions within the status quo, people blow up the status quo. Well, on that happy note, I want to end. We've got five minutes left on the show, folks. Uh, you're listening to The Radical Reverend Show with Emma Wakelin and Alex Grant on our Left, Left, or Leftist panel. What a great panel it's been. Thanks, all. Um, but I want to let, end on some happy notes. I'm going to put on the people behind the glass. If you can get on and just introduce yourself to listeners there. These are the wonderful texts that keep us on the air all the time. And throughout 2023, thank you so much. And um, and first of all, I just want to send my own good news story of 2023, which is the kangaroo has been found. <laughs> so there you go. We found the escaped kangaroo. Now, I hope it's a good story because part of me wanted to say, run, run, run. But the other part of me <laughs> says, yeah, it's going to get cold out there. You're not going to survive, honey. You need to have people looking after you. More accurately, hop, hop, hop. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Tell us who you are on the other side of the glass. Um. I'm Alice. I'm a fourth-year student at U of T. I'm Sam. I'm a first-year student at U of T. Okay, and your good news, as Sam, you had a good news story. Yeah, so there is a species of golden mole, De Winton's golden mole, that has thought to be extinct since 1936, and a group of scientists just rediscovered it in South Africa. So the moles are still fully there. And there you go. And, uh, and Alice, do you have a good news story for 2023? Um... Not really, but just uh, for U of T students out there, QP3902 Unit 1 uh, is starting its negotiations uh, for its new contract. And uh, yeah, stay aware of that. It's pretty important. 
Yeah, and I would I would add, we've got a couple of minutes left, um, and I'm going to go to Emma and then Alex for your good news story. Um, I would add the incredible uprising around the Green Belt, a great act of activism. I hope the same thing happens for Ontario Place and the Science Centre. Uh, we shall see. We live to see that. And I hope by the time you're listening to this show in January uh, that something has happened there. But again, we live in hope. Um, Emma, good news story for 2023. Uh, to... Uh one, I would say, even though there's a lot of anti-trans stuff going uh, around, uh, there seems to be a coalescing and a solidarity that's growing within the queer movement, uh, which is heartening to see. Because I, I would tell you, there's there's no bigger defender uh, of, of of trans rights than than an angry lesbian, um, as uh, some of my uh, friends will say. So, uh, big love out to them and. Uh, uh, City Skylines 2 got released in October, so I'm very happy about that. There you go. And Alex? Oh, th- there's a lot of poetry here. I think it's the old mole of revolution. You think <laughs> it's gone for decades, and then it pops back up. And and in fact, you, you do have this uh, revolutionary class consciousness developing at uh, 2023 is actually going to be the highest strike statistics in about 20 years. And and I, th- I think there is a lot of struggle uh, that gives me confidence. People don't just sit down and take things. They do fight back. And, and that struggle is ha- how we can make that change. Uh, and all I can say is, as the host of the show, uh, Sherry DeNovo, the Radical Reverend, uh, here's to a way, way better 2024. Until next time on the Radical Reverend Show. And keep those donations coming. Thank you.
A lot of people ask about the coffin in our bookshop. This show is brought to you by CIUT Studios and made possible thanks to our friends at Metal Supermarkets. Metal Supermarkets is here to provide the solutions you need. Visit them at metalsupermarkets.com.